Today we continue our series called 3C Life. <clears throat> About once a year we like to sort of revisit our big picture goals as a church to kind of talk about why we exist and sort of lay out as clearly as we can the main stuff about who we are and why we exist. <clears throat> it's how we verbalize the work of God among us and through us. It's how we verbalize those big picture goals for us as a church. This is the logo of our church congregation. It's the three C's. Celebrate, cultivate, and communicate. Celebrate God, cultivate growth, communicate the gospel. And I want to show you in this series, in very plain and simple terms, what we mean when we call you, when we call ourselves to live the three C life. Because what we want to do is we want to hold this up and say, friends, this is who we are, and this is what we're expecting of anybody who wants to be a part of this body here at First Christian Church. We want, in a sense, <laughs> to make you uncomfortable if you're content with just celebrating God on Sunday morning, as if that is the whole of what it means to fittingly participate in the kingdom of God. We actually want to make you feel uncomfortable about that. I need to be upfront about that. We want to build into our culture at First Christian the expectation that all of us are called, that each one of us is called to live a 3C life in these kinds of terms. Because this isn't just about what am I doing at First Christian Church. This is about who am I as a participant in God's larger kingdom, capital K. Because the 3C life is about fitting participation in his kingdom. You see, we are commanded as believers just before Jesus ascended to heaven to remain with God the Father until his return. We are commanded to make disciples. So this is our discipleship process. This is our mission. These are our, our marching orders as a congregation. It comes from Matthew 28, which we'll show you here in just a second. This is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And this is the first blank in your outline here. It says this, and Jesus came and said to them, this is as he's about to descend and leave the disciples with the Holy Spirit soon. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, a little, a little Bible nerd moment here uh, for just a second, and then we'll get into Acts 2 here. Uh, grammatically, just a little note on why, for us, our goal is to make disciples. And we talk about that in a going, baptizing, teaching kind of way. Grammatically, the command in that verse, and it's why it's highlighted as make disciples, the overarching phrase to make disciples is supported by the commands to go and to baptize and to teach. Here's the nerdy part. Go is not actually the command. I know it's the first word. You think, oh, go and go make disciples. Well, actually, 
those three words, if you're writing down your notes, those are participles. It's a participial phrase. Going, baptizing, teaching. Those are descriptive. This is the nerdy part. Descriptive of that main clause, make disciples. So the sense of that passage is as you are teaching, as you are going, as you are baptizing, make disciples. Let's look at the logo again. So, when asked why we exist, we say to celebrate God, to cultivate growth, and to communicate the gospel. You can even see going and baptizing and teaching in how we describe those terms. Simply stated for us, it's a mission that is faithful to Scripture and to God's call on us as the church. And we want to verbalize this in a way that any of us can understand and sit across the table with somebody and even on a napkin say, well, let me tell you what we do as a church. This is why we exist. And this is how we make that happen. When I talk about celebrating God, what I mean is we gather as the body of Christ on Sundays and we celebrate who he is first and his work in our lives. We celebrate God and his work in our lives. And we do that in a worship service. And then by cultivating growth, what we mean is in Sunday school, in small groups, in growth groups, in Bible studies. We have that time together with other believers where we maintain our relationship with God and with one another so that we can grow. That's our focus today. And so you can describe to these kinds of people, even on a napkin, communicate means this. It means I'm involved in service here at church and outside of here in the world. We'll talk more about that next week. And we're going to talk about a couple uh, pretty cool little tweaks um, to our process that the elders and the deacons have been discussing that will really help us become more and more a church that's on a mission. You need to know something about me. Many of you do, but if you don't, if we're not going to be a church on a mission, I don't want to play. That's not my game. If we're not going to be a church that with each time we meet, a little bit becomes more the kinds of people who are about God's goals and not just ours, I don't want to have anything to do with it. You can play church yourself. For us... If we're not becoming the kind of congregation where we communicate the gospel, you can have it. I don't want a part of it. Because God didn't give us all these incredible resources of people and time and money. Look at what we have just in our own body of Christ here. He's given it to us for a reason. I'm already preaching next week, folks. It's communicate the gospel. It's, it's at the core of my heart. I'm excited about next week already, but we'll get to that later. Today we focus on cultivating growth and, uh, and what that looks like. Uh, if you're taking notes, that C is this. Cultivate growth, and it has two dimensions. In relationship with God, that vertical dimension, and in relationship with one another, the horizontal dimension. And this corresponds with what happens here in Acts. If you haven't yet turned, please do go ahead and turn to Acts 2, 42 to 47. We're pretty much going to focus on that first little verse there in Acts 2, 42. We're going to use it as a pattern for our own thinking about our mission as a church to cultivate growth. 
We're not going to be doing as much in-depth study of this passage as we normally do on most Sundays, but we are going to use it as a picture through which we can filter our own experience here at church to, 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 to show it and to say, how do, we, how do we look in comparison to this today? So as we, as we jump in, let's go ahead and uh, pray together. Lord God, we, we implore you to make of us people who care for our relationship with you in a way that means we are connected to you such that the Holy Spirit pricks our hearts and develops us and teaches us in a way that our relationships with others can gain access to the deeper parts of us in a way that forms and shapes us so that together, Lord, we, we would become the kind of people and the kind of environment where you're growing in our lives, where our relationships with others are being formed in a way that helps us maintain a relationship with you that will sustain us and will help us grow. Father, we implore you to do that among us and through us. And as we look into your word today, we ask that you would uh, speak to us and make clear the ways in which you want us to move forward toward that end of cultivating growth. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Have you ever heard uh, anyone say something like, you know, I don't really need church to be a good Christian. I don't need the church to be a good follower of Christ. You know, this kind of sentiment, friends, is becoming an increasingly common idea in our world today. It's even a conviction among many who call themselves believers. I don't need the church to be a good follower of Jesus. The famous, famous preacher D.L. Moody uh, was visiting uh, a very prominent and well-to-do citizen uh, at his home on a particularly wintry and blustery and cold day in Chicago. Uh, there are many of those, by the way, personal experience. Uh, they got to talking about church membership and involvement, and the man said to Moody, he said, I believe I can be just as good a Christian outside the church as I can be inside it. Moody paused for just a moment. He, he said nothing. Instead, he moved to the fireplace. He removed one burning coal, and he placed it on the hearth. The two men sat there together for just a couple minutes and watched that ember die out. Guess who was in church the next Sunday? A lot of people like to say, all I need is a Bible and the Holy Spirit. Especially among the younger generation today, it has become quite fashionable, friends. If you're not aware of this, it's very fashionable to say, I like Jesus, but not his followers. I don't need to be connected to a local church. Friends, I want to tell you today... I am very strongly of the conviction that I think this is not only unbiblical, I think it's dangerous, and it is ultimately a very short-sighted and ignorant formula 
for creating selfish egomaniacs who don't need anybody else because they've got all the answers. If we do not have a meaningful and a regular connection with the local church body, we run the risk of becoming Lone Ranger Christians who have all their own correct answers and they don't need you to tell them any differently. It's like people who run the risk of not being held accountable to this second C of growth in their lives. To becoming and developing into the person God created us to be. This accountability to the body, it works sort of like this. It's like, it's like exercising or, or working out, which I personally hate. I detest it because I work out early in the morning and I don't like getting up early. But I do it because I know that crazy Mike Fowler is going to show up at 4.45 to pick me up. I know that he's going to be there, and so I'd better get my rear end out of bed to exercise. <laughs> Shout out to Mike. Uh, if it weren't for my workout buddy in the morning back there, I would be 35 pounds heavier than I am today. No question. I'm a big, huge, fat guy waiting to get out. That's <laughs> uh, not that funny. <laughs> it, it's true. It really is true. My wife is, is able to buy a huge thing of Oreos and just let it sit there for two months in our pantry. And she can just take one little thing at a time, you know. And, and I'm like, give me the whole thing. Give me a gallon of milk, and it's done by evening. Uh, before we jump in a little more here, uh, I want to say this. And this is the next uh, blank in your outline there. Uh, this is the important principle for us today. It's this. Connection to the body is about maintaining a holistic spiritual fitness plan that equips us to become fruitful workers in God's kingdom. I, I, I chose the word holistic because you can do some things without the body. You can grow in some measure without the body. But friends, there is nothing like interaction with the people of God to stretch you beyond where you've ever been before. We'll talk about communicating the gospel next week, but I do want to say this as a part of that. If you want to grow to become who God has called you to be, get involved in service. Service is where the rubber meets the road of pushing us to where we wouldn't already be. And part of that is accountability to other people who are depending on your service. So part of that is a function of this body thing. Connection to the body is about maintaining a holistic spiritual fitness plan that equips us to become fruitful workers in God's kingdom. This is about that fitting participation in the kingdom of God. You see, cultivating growth doesn't magically happen by itself, and it doesn't happen in isolation. It takes relationship with God vertically and relationship with others horizontally. It takes the whole entire body, not just the head, not just Christ. You can't just take Jesus' head under your arms like a teddy bear and go off and take him out when you need to and forget the rest of the body. That's not how the Bible describes it. It would be absurd as divorcing Christ's bride and still wanting to enjoy the benefits of marriage, but without the relationship. A lot of people are there, folks. A lot of people are there. And when the going gets tough, 
They don't want to be a part of it. That's too hard. You know why? Because it demands something of them. It demands something of them. And if you're not putting yourself in that place where God and the body of Christ are demanding something of you, then you're playing church. Sorry. You're playing church. Let's read together Acts 2, 42 to 7. And just sort of refresh our memories here before we talk about these two points here. It says this, They, that is, the body of Christ there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The Holy Spirit was moving and working in that place of growth being cultivated. Verse 44, And all who believed were together, there's that word, togetherness, and had all things in common. It was a community. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And God blessed it. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. First thing we see here is the church was a learning community. That's the next blank in your outline there. They were a learning community. They learned together. They learned together. Now, the book, the book of Acts is a record. It's a selective history of the early church following the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. If you'll remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus leaving his followers with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this particular passage is sort of a, an executive summary of the work, of the activity of the Holy Spirit. We like to say it shows what the, what the disciples did, which it does. But it's an activity, it's a record of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives more than it is about them. It's, it's describing the main gist here in Acts 2.42-7. It's sort of a summary passage. So the first thing we note here, verse 42 is that the early church was a learning community. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This means they devoted themselves to the teaching that they had received from the apostles who had received it directly from Jesus. In other words, they had to learn it in community. It came from Jesus to his disciples and the apostles and the people who, who learned it from Jesus to the rest of the church. It had to happen in community. They didn't have copies of Scripture around like we do, so they had to rely on learning it together. And eventually these teachings from the apostles were written down, and we have it now as the Bible. But they didn't have it available as such like we do, so they had to rely on learning it together. Notice verse 42 says, they devoted themselves. It's plural, it doesn't say he, it doesn't say she. It says they. They were learning together in community. It's a critical principle for us to grasp. It's why we say we're cultivating growth in relationship. It's a relationship with God and with one another. Part of that learning community is that relationship. And it's not just, by the way, it's not just because they didn't have the New Testament like we do. 
It's because we learn best from others and with others. When an older and wiser believer can impart spiritual truth to us and model that with their lives, we learn it because we see it in community. You don't get that if you're at home listening to Charles Stanley. We learn best when we are bouncing ideas off of one another. Where I get your feedback and you get mine. Maybe you want a little less of mine. But I want your feedback. We can sit around and we can talk about this. And pray about this. And think about this. And talk about the implications of what does it look like for us to live an Acts 42 kind of church. That's us learning together. We can even see how the church throughout history and centuries before us has dealt with these passages and lived this out. It cannot be done as effectively in isolation. So the picture here described in Acts shows that the early church was together and that they were hungry for God's word. They were hungry for it. Acts is filled with instances of teaching and of testimony and preaching and study in groups, in the temple, and in homes. They were hungry for it. I love this, this verse. It's from uh, 1 Peter 2.2. 2. It says this, Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. One version says, crave pure spiritual milk. This infant church in Acts was hungry. They were craving the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the Lord was using them and the Holy Spirit was moving in their lives. And they had to be feeding on this to sustain them. Are you in a place in life where you feel a dependency on the Holy Spirit such that you must have the word? Or is it too easy not to need it? Maybe it's because you're not cultivating a place of growth in your life. So let me ask you this. When you look at your life, can you say that you are devoted to, that you are continuing steadfastly in the truths of God? If you're taking notes, just ask yourself this question. Do I crave deeper spiritual truth like a newborn baby craves milk. You know, when babies don't get their milk, they cry. No news flash to any of you who have had babies. If you get halfway through your day or, or, or the end of your day, and you have found that the Word of God has not been in your thoughts or that you haven't spent any time soaking up God's truths or feeding on His words, if you get through your day and you find that that's the case, does it bother you? Do we act like babies who complain if they don't have enough milk? Far too often, I'm afraid, it's the opposite problem. We're not worried enough that we don't get enough of the Word in our lives. That doesn't bother us. We're not worried about that. Let me ask it to you another way. 
Where are the people among us complaining that we don't have enough time in our ministry programming for study of the Word of God? How many? Not been hearing those complaints. Where are the people who are upset because we don't cultivate enough of a passion for holiness in our churches? Where are the Christians who are upset? Scott, we don't pray enough as a church. Eight years, still waiting. Because I want to publicly lodge an official complaint. Why do we not work hard at learning the word? The church in America has become a culture where we are content to allow people to come and worship and not be involved in the body in a meaningful way. To not be involved in hardcore study of Scripture with the body of Christ. We have allowed that to be okay. It's our faults for that. It should be regular practice for us to be deeply devoted to Scripture and not just once a week. When 80% of 100% of the people who will be in American churches today, when 80% of them get all of their Bible content within this one hour on Sunday mornings, something is drastically wrong. That doesn't look like Acts 2 to me. 80% of the people in churches today in America will receive 100% of their Bible content from someone like me in an hour. won't feed you. It won't feed you. And we are, we're losing our kids to a world where the evil and godless worldviews are turning their minds into mush. And they and we are increasingly unable to distinguish between truth and falsehood. We live in a world that assumes there's no God, and we are content to not feed on this, and then we wonder what happens down the road when our kids leave. It's in the 90-ish percent of kids who, when they graduate from high school, they've graduated from their faith because we have not equipped them. That is on us. Another thing that we notice about the early church is the second point here. It's that we are a fellowshipping community. They learned together in community, but they also lived together. They fellowshiped together. Verse 42 again, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the togetherness of the body. Now this is, uh, that, that word fellowship, this is the first time it's used to describe what was happening among believers there. That word isn't used before that in the Gospels because this fellowship was describing the church as a new work. The root idea here is just commonality. It's, it's partnership. It's, it's sharing. Uh, I heard this in high school. It means we're fellows in the same ship. We're in the same boat. But, but, but it's not just that we're in a boat together it's that we're in a boat that's going the same direction there's a sense that this fellowship isn't just being in the same room there's a sense that this fellowship is about a mission and a purpose 
That's what, that's what biblical fellowship is about. It's not just getting together and, and laughing and carrying on and, and eating, though I, for one, love that kind of thing. We often think of, of eating together and laughing together as fellowship, and it is, but, but fellowship in the biblical sense, it's a lot more than just a potluck. It's living together. Beyond these four walls, beyond Sunday morning, beyond Wednesday night dinner, it's living together, it's working these things out together, it's applying God's words together, it's, it's bearing one another's burdens in a way that takes seriously who we are in Christ. It's praying for and with one another. This idea of fellowship is behind what we call the one another verses. There are lots of these verses in the New Testament, and uh, depending on how you count it, there are at least uh, 35 of these. Uh, these one another verses sort of give some, some picture to what this fellowship is about. Uh, Romans 12, it says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. It says, Honor one another above yourselves. It says, Stop passing judgment on one another. It says to serve one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. To forgive each other. Those kinds of things are to mark the body of Christ in our togetherness, in our fellowship, in our growth. The early church was together a lot. And here's the good news. We're pretty good at fellowshipping to a point. We're pretty good at fellowshipping to sort of a certain superficial doesn't cost too much for me kind of place. No one's going to argue about whether or not we're together on a regular basis or whether we eat together and, and laugh together. Uh, that's, that's a good thing. And I think it's important for churches to do that. Churches can be a miserably boring and unfriendly and unkind place where there's not a lot of laughter. And friends, we like being with each other. I, I, wish, I wish as you were there on Wednesday nights if you're not. Uh, when, when we're sitting around the table and people are talking and laughing, uh, the Sunday school classes and the growth groups and those smaller kinds of places beyond this service where we're together, I wish you could be there if you're not because there's laughter going on. People know each other and they want to know what's going on in their lives. We're good with those kinds of things. But start getting to the point where I have to help carry your load of personal sins and the deeper stuff that doesn't make prayer cards. And you're going to be treading water yourself. At least that's kind of what functionally happens in a lot of congregations. It's a good thing that Jesus understood the personal sacrifice of fellowship. You see, he incarnated it. He demonstrated it in his flesh when he said to you, that stuff you can't handle, that you can't carry, I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to take that on as my own personal burden. How many of us are dealing with one another's personal burdens in those kinds of ways? That we incarnate the work of Jesus to one another. 
That's what it means to cultivate growth in relationship with God and with one another. That our horizontal fellowship is marked by that kind of incarnational ways in which we demonstrate Jesus to one another. Your burdens, I can't take care of it, but I can help you. When we say those kinds of things to one another. Friends, the early church... It was growing in the power of the Holy Spirit because they joined with God to cultivate an environment where they grew. They were a people who learned and lived together. That's what we want here. We want to be people who worship on Sunday and in Sunday school classes, study groups, growth groups, Bible studies, in those smaller places, we learn about our relationship with God and with one, or one another in a way that makes us into who he wants us to be. Do you remember those, uh, those old picture spots where you put your face, you put your face above one of those headless frames? Uh, the, the, the board there may be painted. It's a, probably a piece of wood usually. It's painted to represent a big muscle man or a, or a clown or, or a handsome prince or a beautiful princess and you, you put your face up in the top there and somebody takes your picture. The photos are often humorous uh, because the head doesn't exactly fit the body. If we could picture Christ as the head of our local body, would the world look at us and would they laugh at the misfit? Or would they stand in awe of a human body so closely related to the divine head that they say, yep, that fits. That fits. Let's pray.